Hey everyone, welcome to the Next Gen Marine and Outdoors podcast, where we talk fishing, hunting, the marine industry, and the outdoors. I'm Lane Runyon. Let's get on with the show. All right, guys, episode three. I'm here with my wife, Tori. Hi. And uh, we're going to talk about our big game hunts that have been going on. Last we left you, I told you we were going to go on an elk hunt, and both of us were successful. Uh, Tori shot a nice big cow elk, which we were able to haul out with a four-wheeler, thank God. Um, it was huge, and uh, there's quite the story to that, which we'll get into as we get more into the elk hunt, but right now I want to jump all the way back to October on opener of Rifle Deer. We drew a extra whitetail antlerless tag, and lots of them are up here on the river in this area, and so we took the G3. Ran up on the river with our shotguns and buckshot. Started with slugs in my gun. We learned that uh, unrifled slugs, not a great option. Um, buckshot, double-lot buck in particular, works much better. Uh, I don't miss more than once. <laughs> we're, we're just going to blame the slugs as if it wasn't the person yeah. behind the shotgun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your first big game animal, uh, outside of a duck, your first animal that you've ever shot. Yep. And uh, so how did that feel? Talk about that first. Um, I closed my eyes. <laughs> I I mean, we were sitting there and I was sitting and watching and she came up through the trees and I saw her and I held my breath because she looked like she was either going to go towards me or away from me. And sure enough, she starts running towards me and stops. And I thought, well, it's now or never. So I lifted up the shotgun and I looked and I closed my eyes and pulled the trigger and all of a sudden she was down. So to jump further into that story, so we were using three inch double op buck, which has 15 pellets, the size of nine millimeter in there. Tori ended up putting pretty much every pellet center mass on this deer, not one in the guts, not one in the back strap, not one in the hind, not one in the shoulder, all behind the shoulder, all in center mass, which was awesome. To get further into the story of how she got her deer, so we'd hunted two other islands that morning? That was the second island, so we'd, already, we'd only hunted the one. Okay, so the second island that morning, we get up there, and we get set up, and we realized that both of us walking together just was not working. Um, the deer were way ahead of us. Whitetail over mule deer are very skittish, way more to my surprise. I mean, pretty much if you get a glimpse of them, it's just their butt running away. You really have to either wait... Um, which Tori and I both are not fond of waiting for animals. Um, we're Western hunters. We want to be on our feet and be moving. So what we decided to do is I kind of knew that the deer were in this area. They were moving through away from us. I circled. There were Within about 200 yards, there was private farmland next to this one. That we actually, so we weren't technically on an island on this one, just a BLM chunk adjacent to private property that you could only access through the river thanks to G3 boats. Um, had to cross some two, th two uh, inch sections um, to get up there. So you need a shallow running boat to do that. But anyway, so I walk about the 200 yards, get up to the fence line, uh, which was out of the brush. There was probably a 50, 60 yard section of just open between the trees and all the brush that was in there. Ended up setting Tori up in the brush where there was a good confluence of deer trails. And I hugged this fence and probably walked another five, 600 yards up and then cut back into the trees and then just started to do a slow zigzag back. Um, could hear them in front of me. I saw a couple circle around to my right. I thought, crap, they'd gone away. 
they went around me and we're not going to get one now. And the next thing I know, there is double lot buck flying past my head. <laughs> I'm yelling, don't shoot again, don't shoot again. And all of a sudden I hear a deer just wailing. I'm like, oh crap, she got one. Ended up going up and then, yeah, a young doe. So already had meat there, some fresh venison, which was amazing. Um, it was a warm day. I mean, what was it, 70 degrees? Warmer I, than usual. I don't know if it was quite that warm, um, but it was definitely warmer. It was probably at least 50. Yeah, and it was still early. It was before. You had to be work at 10, so it had to be like 9. Yeah, yeah. So we we got to the islands by 8 o'clock. I said, hey, we better hurry this up because I've got to be at work by 10. Completely joking. And then lo and behold, we get this deer down and got it out and dragged to the boat and home in time for me to be working by 10 o'clock. So yeah, so we get got it, we get it back, get it on the boat. It was going to be a warm day. There was no way to hang the deer. So I'm like, well, I'll wait till you're off work and we'll go out that evening and get me one and we'll just repeat the same process. But I'll have you push the deer this time and we'll get me one. So I get it up in the tree. Yes, I hung it from a tree. It was awesome. Um, got it all skinned, broke down all into primals, and got the ribs off and everything else. Every piece of usable piece of meat I got off that thing and ended up putting in the coolers with the ice. Now, I did not put ice on the meat. I put ice in the cooler and then separated the meat from the ice with newspaper, um, which doing that again, I would use butcher paper. The newspaper tended to stick to the meat, and it was kind of hard to clean up after the fact. Um, but anyway, so got it cut up, separated it out from the ice, got it on the cooler, and I just couldn't wait. I'm like, you know what? I'm not waiting for you. I'm going out again. And uh, so I head out. Now it's about probably 1 o'clock. It took me two and a half hours to break down that deer or something like that. Yeah, it was around there. So it was, it was getting close to 2 o'clock, um, warmest part of the day. Um, get back. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, there was a lot of deer in that section. There was a couple of mature does. Let me just get up there. I'll walk through that first again. See if I get one. If not, I'll go hit a fresh island. Get up on there, kind of do the same circle I'm doing, and lo and behold, I'm walking that fence line, and there's a doe probably 100 yards from me, somewhere around there, which you cannot shoot buckshot 100 yards, so I had to close the distance, but now I'm out in the open. She's on the open, but she's still grazing. This is where camouflage makes a difference. It doesn't always, especially with rifle, when you could reach out there and touch them and everything, and I'm not gonna say like you have to have camo, but here's the difference between wearing good camo and not wearing good camo. That deer looked right at me at 100 yards, did not see me, went back to grazing. I'm like, oh crap, what do I do? So I get down on my belly. I'm like, I'm just gonna try and crawl to her. I'm already made, so I might as well make an approach. I could see there was a ditch that was about half the distance between us, which was inside that range of double lot buck. So I start crawling, and as I'm crawling, she'll look at me, I would stop. Lay my head down, lay everything down, just lay it as flat as I can, wait for her to drop her head and start grazing again. I started crawling. And I'm belly crawling through thistles and uh, cockle burrs, or whatever they want to call them. There's a bunch of names for them, but burrs. So my clothes are just full of burrs. And I'm just trying to crawl as quietly as I can. Finally, I reach this ditch. She's still over there. It wasn't quite halfway. She was probably still 70 yards away. So I belly into this ditch. Well, that noise, whatever it was... She was more curious than afraid. I pop up out of this ditch, and there she is. She's standing at 30 yards. And drop my shotgun barrel down. Boom. She's down. I'm calling Tori, saying, hey, we got two deer today. We got a bunch of meat in the freezer. So, 
Ended up packing her up, cut them up. That night we cut every piece of meat off that thing, except for we did, the only thing we didn't do was grind it, our grind pieces. We just froze those and we did that a few days later. So yeah, that was our deer hunt in October. I mean, it went pretty smoothly, both deer down opening day. Um, we, of course, still had our general deer tags, um, which we're still hunting now. Um, so that right there is still in process. And then jump fast forward to the elk hunt. We hunted, well, the first day we saw elk. Yeah, yeah, we we saw elk every single day. Um, we were out there, what, six days? Mm-hmm, probably six days total. Um, we were fortunate to have a friend that knows the area pretty well, too. Um, I kind of found an area on Onyx that I said, this is got this is the elkiest area in this unit. Um, this unit is not well known for elk. Um, so kind of where, you know, where I started. So I ended up meeting up with him. And lo and behold, he takes us about to the same area. Um, I was just looking basically the wrong direction. So the first day we get out there, um, kind of Tori's friend was in town and then this friend had a tag, his wife had, his, his wife had a tag. So we're kind of out there like as a party to go do this thing. And within five minutes of stopping the trucks and getting on a hill, we saw him about 2000 yards away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was not even that you guys literally walked up the hill and you're like, there they are. Everybody ready? Yep. So we, so we basically started our stock at that point. And uh, got within, what was the yardage, 280 yards or something like that, the closest ones? Yeah, somewhere in there. So, lo and behold, we didn't get one that day. Um, interesting story, though. One did end up getting wounded. Um, shot low on the leg. And we tracked her not just for the end of that day, blood trailing her and everything. We tracked her for days. And so... Two days later, we, we took a break. Tori had to work. I went out with the friends. And so this would have been that Saturday. And we found them where they kind of pushed off and moved off to. They are in a valley. Made our stock again. Got up high on a hill. They're down in the valley. Our closest shot was 450, 430 yards. So I ended up shooting my young bull at 430 yards. Dropping him down. And then your friend shot hers at 680 yards and dumped her. I mean, it was just done and over with on that one. So you got to practice with a rifle. You got to know where your rifle is going to go um, to be proficient in a shot like that on an animal. We got it done. And then, of course, we did that pack out, which was really interesting. It was so dark that night, guys, that literally your headlamp was drowned out by darkness after about 20 feet. And we're using nice LED headlamps and it was completely drowned out. And Tori's text me, check-in time, check-in time. And uh, we're hiking out in the dark. It's our last load. And I'm using Onyx to track and my phone is at 10% battery. And lo and behold, we get turned around and double back probably 50 yards. We must have got caught around a hill and just followed it around in the dark. However it worked, we got turned around pretty bad. And luckily for Onyx, we were able to track and point the right way and get back over the hills and get back to the truck safely. Um, that would have been a long, cold night if we wouldn't have stuck out there because there are no landmarks out there. There's no lights, there's no towns, there's no nothing that you can see with your eye. It is just pitch black. So Sunday, Tori and I load up to go get Tori's. We drop the baby off. We get out there at 8.39? About 9, probably. Yeah, so we had to drop the baby off the babysitter, so we had to leave a little. We couldn't get there first morning. Didn't see any elk first thing. Um, hiked how many miles? 
probably five miles in a loop. So basically trying to get back on this herd that we had shot in the days prior. Found out that they've moved. Um, hiking a little bit further. We said, okay, we're going to double back. We know where another herd kind of is. We'll go look that direction. Start walking back, and lo and behold, who pops out two ridges over from where we originally saw her and saw the other herd? It's Hopalong with one leg. So we did have a shot there for a second, but you should probably talk about that because that was kind of... Oh, I 100% choked. We were walking, and we just come up on it, and all of a sudden, Lane just stops and points, and... Lane stops and points at anything from a squirrel <laughs> to a bald eagle. So I didn't really think anything of it, and I was just ill-prepared. Um, the rifle wasn't loaded. I wasn't in the right headspace to make a good shot, and so she got away. Um, we tracked her probably another two miles before we completely lost her. Um, the problem with a cow that big is... She's too smart for her own good, so she was running around hurt, and we couldn't even take care of that and put her out of her misery. Um, so, yeah, that was just just ill timing and ill preparedness and a lesson learned. And it sucks to wound an animal. I mean, it's not a good thing by any means, and you have to make every reasonable effort to find the animal that you wounded. And we spent days and days tracking this animal to get her, and she was just even on three legs. Elk are freaking tough, and they can move way faster than you, and we cannot catch up to it, and basically it was over. I mean, we, there was nothing more we could do. We would have chased her for another week and never found her at this point once she got away from us again. So then we hiked probably another, started doubling back towards where we thought this other herd was, and got up on a hill, and basically we could see, got in the binoculars, looked, Finally seen elk sunning themselves up on a ridge to 2,500 yards, 2,000 yards away, somewhere around there. Pretty yeah, far. We, we weren't very confident on the distance, and there was some back and forth on do we go back to the truck or do we try to go hike this really quick? And how far is it going to be, and how quick is really quick, and how many hours do we have? So basically from that hill, I could see the elk to my right, and then probably... 30, 40 degrees to the left, there was the truck up there, probably about half a mile away um, over on the ridge. So it's like, do we get in the truck, get on a trail, and try and go back on another trail to get closer to them within a mile, or do we just put a stock on and try to get try to get one? So we, so Tori said, let's just go. Let's just go after them. We're already on foot. Let's just walk. So we started going through all the buttes and hills and everything to get back there. Ended up getting, the next time we saw him, 800 yards away, somewhere around there. Yeah, about that. So we were about 800 yards away. I kind of was just going up on top of hills and peeking, trying not to spook them. Once I got up on that hill at 800 yards, straight in front of me, up on that same ridge that they were sunning on, I could see elk, but I got to see elk probably another 20 degrees to the right at the same distance, but I can tell they were more to the right, which we lucked out because the topography was kind of leaning us that way to stay down below where they couldn't see us. I mean, the sun and everything was perfect for them. If we would have stood up on top of the hill and they could, were looking, we would have been made within 
half a mile and they would have seen us. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And they were staring right down. I mean, at this point, these things have been hunted quite a bit. So they were they were definitely putting themselves in positions to watch. So we ended up closing, keep closing the distance. We're walking through the bottom. And we're just kind of sitting at the bottom of these washes, moving back and forth. And pop up again. And I think I ranged about 410 yards or something like that. Yeah, it was a little bit over 400 so Tori was using my 7mm ram mag, my Bugara B14, which we'll, I'm going to do a video about because it's impressive. It's a great rifle. Oh, yeah. It's our first season with it. Um, wow, it is just a great shooting rifle. It fits good. It fits your body good. It, From mine to hers, I mean, it just fits us both great. And two completely different sizes, but it's a lightweight rifle, easy to carry all day. Um, what, I'm not crazy about the scope on it. I'm going to do a video on why. Um, it's not bad. I mean, obviously it worked. Um, but definitely going to upgrade that in the future. Um, so anyway, so we could have made a 400 yard shot. I mean, by all means, we'd done it already. Um, but you hadn't shot the rifle. Yeah, I hadn't shot the rifle very much. Um, and I had never shot at an animal that big before. And I mean, we already had one elk, so we decided, Hey, let's see how close we can get to these guys. So we start crawling through the washes again. Staying low, there's a couple of hills we had to go over. There was no choice. Um, so it was basically tuck down as low as you can and crawl over these hills and get to the bottom of the next ridge and then keep going. So finally we get to where we're probably 250, 300 yards to them. And I see I see another group of elk laying at the bottom of that ridge that the rest of them were selling themselves on. And basically it's it made for the perfect situation. If we can get up on top of this hill next to it, we're going to be looking down at the elk next to the ridge. I mean, drop us right in. So, ended up getting up to it. There was a young bull bedded up next to it, um, probably about 120 yards or so at the bottom of the hill. Um, so that made it a little hairy to get up there because if he would have seen us, it would have been easier for him to blow everybody out. And we, we wanted a big cow. We got a young bull already. We want to get a big cow and get lots of meat. So we ended up crawling up the side of this hill. He didn't see us. Keep crawling, keep crawling until we can crest the, the edge of it and see him. And we're up on some lava rock looking over. And we can see the cows that we saw. And they were 180, 150 yards away standing. One was staring at us. And I pan just looked to my right. And with about 80 yards, there's three more bedded up right in front of us. I'm like, okay, we got close. Because they don't know we're here. They're bedded up there. And then Tori's saying, I see this one. I see this one. I see this one. I look over to my right, and there's one bedded down in Lava Rock at about 80 yards, staring right at us like, like we're not even there. Yeah, she didn't even look real. All I saw were the ears just sticking straight out. So I tell Tori, shoot that one, shoot that one. The way that the hill laid out was... There was no way to like go prone and make a shot over it because your barrel would be hitting the hill. We couldn't quite crest over the other side because there was nothing to hide us. I mean, it's just tall grass and that's it. We were already past any cedars or anything else. So I'm like, well, lay the rifle across my back and make a shot. So she does. She makes a shot right through the shoulder, right where it's supposed to be. And they all ball up. Well, I should back up a little more. You made a shot, and not only were there like five or six elk there, there were probably a hundred elk tucked in that area. Yeah, all of a sudden. So 
I'm like leaning on Lane's hands and or Lane's back. He's on his hands and knees with his head down so that I don't completely blow both of his eardrums. I make the shot. I say, I think I hit that elk, but at the same time that I make the shot, literally at least 150 elk just all of a sudden stand up out of absolutely nowhere. I have no idea how an animal that big can hide that well. And they all just start taking off. I mean, they're clustered together and they're just going off in a group. Well, and you say taking off, but like they were like at a walking pace. Oh, yeah, they they were a little bit confused what that noise was and nonchalantly sauntering would be more more of an accurate description. Yeah. So once they ball up like that to make a follow-up shot on one, I mean, you're staring at elk after elk after elk through your crosshairs. I mean, you're not you can't you cannot single out one elk and shoot without a bullet going through and hitting another elk. I mean, it's just they're so tight that you can't shoot into them. And so I had to run back and get my pack, which is probably at now 80 yards, 100 yards away from us, but it's like straight up hill, so I have to run and hoof it to get my pack. They had just moved out into the kind of, there was kind of a valley off of that ridge, and they had just now moved off of there, so they couldn't see me, so I'm like, I'm going to book it back to my pack. So I book it back to my pack, grab it, throw it back on, come back up meet with Tori. She kind of kept eyes on, but when I was coming back, I kind of see where they were around the hill, so she couldn't see them, but they were just right around the hill. So like, let's make a move on these things. They're not running scared. They're just kind of mosing away. So we kind of move up, get get up around that edge, and then there's the herd again. And then there's a small bunch, probably of 30, 40 cows, all bunched up. And lo and behold, I break a limb for Tori off of uh, Cedar. And she rests rifle up. And we look, and we can see the bullet hole in the shoulder of the one cow. She was lagging a little bit behind and had a pretty good limp on her, too. So we were able to tell that that was for sure the right one. Mm -hmm. And she happened to peel out just a little bit left of the whole herd. And we're at 150 yards or so now. Tori cracks off a shot straight through the spinal cord. Elk dumps. No other elk injured because she had broken away. And we got an elk down. And, I mean, the rest is... Gonna get to the fun part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got a little western. Um, I did have to put her down, even after two really good shots. She still was tough and did not die. Um, that was really rough. If you haven't hunted elk before, which we hadn't before, I'd been on elk hunts, but not successful ones. Um, this was my very first elk hunt, so this was all brand new, and I had no idea what to expect. They are tougher than nails. They take take bullets like I've never seen something take like you'd think they'd just fall over after one. No, like that is not elk hunting. You have to be you'll you'll think you miss and you've hit because yeah. they don't even act like they've been shot. Yeah, I found out after the fact that somebody that I know went and I mean she's a she's a hunting pro and she said yeah I I sat a hundred yards away from an elk and I put six bullets in her and she still didn't drop. I went and bought a bigger gun the next day. Yeah, they're just they're tanks and seven mm mag is not a light bullet i mean those things hit hard and fast and do a lot of damage especially if you buy premium ammunition you know hornady or nosler um, we were using that we were using the uh, nosler trophy grade that day not by choice um, but there's no other 70 remag available and so i ended up with a hundred dollar box of ammo because um, i had target practice and shot most of my hornady stuff oops and there was no more there was no more available so i had to get that 
So that was an oversight on my part, having to spend that much on ammo. But it did a job, 160 grain nozzler. I mean, it did really good, but uh, they're just tougher than nails. They will not die. And uh, so, yeah, you had to put it down, which I assure there was a lot of emotion in that. Oh, yeah, that made me feel awful. Um, Even though I knew that I took an ethical shot, it still just hurt that she didn't die fast. Yeah, it just it's rough. It's way rougher than you think, way more emotional than you think to have to deal with that. So the saving grace compared to my elk is we ended up being 1.2 miles to the truck from where that elk died. Yeah. And it was in the perfect valley, the perfect scenario where there is a dirt road that basically the truck was parked on, but it basically turns into a four-wheeler trail. And we were able to drive the four-wheeler right up to her. And so threw some straps on her and we drug her back to the truck. And it worked great. Everything went good up to that point. And so I had my plan <laughs> for loading this elk. Anytime, my... anytime Lane has a plan, we just account for an extra two hours because everything that can possibly go wrong will go wrong. And this was no exception. So I had a nice pulley that I had bought last year for just lifting my snowplow on the forward, but I left a rope on it super long just because I need to use it for anything else. And it's a good pulley. It works. I mean, it didn't have any problems before. Well, it decides it wants to gum up and it, the rope keeps slipping off of the bearings in there and it's digging in the side. And I'm basically using the four wheeler ramps to get the elk up in the truck and it was sliding up the four wheeler ramps fine. It was moving up and we had it about halfway up. And uh, yeah, the pulley stopped working. And so that was a problem. I did have a come along. Um, but then the elk fell off the ramps through all this excitement. Well, before that. Oh, wait, before that was a four wheeler. No, before it was, so the pulley broke in the process of trying to get the slack out of that rope. That's when the four-wheeler oh. broke. Yeah, so the shifter in the four-wheeler, uh, something grenaded on the inside of it, and it was now locked in forward low. Polaris has high forward neutral, high reverse, and then it has like a, a, a low gear forward. So it's basically locked in that with no way of moving it. And uh, so we couldn't reset to pull the elk up or anything else. And that's a super torquey gear too. Like you let off the brake even a little bit and it wants to go forward. Yeah, and so... <laughs> There's some power. So it basically wasn't working at that point. We were, we were screwed. I will say this, even though we got the elk there whole, the proper decision at that point, because I could have still loaded the four-wheeler up fine and everything in the truck with it, that gear, the way it was, the proper decision would have been, let's skin this elk right here. It'll take an extra hour. Let's skin the elk, quarter it, throw it in game bags, which I had, put it in the bed of the truck by hand, and then load the four-wheeler up. That's the proper choice. I didn't make that choice. So after trying to pull it up more and more again, it fell off the ramps. Now it's back on the ground again. And uh, I was fussy. Just a little fussy. So I devised this plan. This elk is coming out whole. I, it will not win. I will win. It's coming out whole. And so I have Tori back up the truck to the other side of the folder from where the elk is. Fold the folder around where it's between the elk and the truck. And we use the rope that I had to drag the elk up on top of the four-wheeler. And that worked fine. I mean, it went up on top of it. Yeah, even strapping it to the four-wheeler wasn't bad. So it's, a, it's now draped, so you can kind of picture it, it's draped over the seat, 
covers the whole seat, obviously, because it's a big cow elk. And uh, we ratchet strapped the legs up to the uh, rear tie-down area on it. Yeah, because it was touching the ground yeah. on both sides. So we ratchet strap it up, and it's now held on there tight, and I jump on this elk. Well, I position the four-wheeler ramps to now drive the four-wheeler and this elk onto the into the bed of the truck to get it home. Because keep in mind, this elk is now coming out whole. Yeah, so we have this four-wheeler, and we have it stuck in forward. And I don't think Lane mentioned yet, but the handbrake doesn't work. So we have no brakes because there's an elk on top of the brake. Yeah, so right now the four-wheeler, at some point this winter, the hydraulic line for the brakes, the brake fluid line, had backed off and leaked brake fluid out. But I'm like, ah, it's fine. I still have the foot manual brake. No big deal for pushing snow with a plow. Well, it turns out it's a big deal for loading an elk in the back of a truck because uh, I can now not reach the brake. And if you're thinking I went and drove the four-wheeler up into the rear window, that's not what happened. Um, didn't need, actually need the brake for that. So I had the ramps position, got the elk on the four-wheeler. I thought, there's no way this can go around. The elk is very forward. It's, it, I can't turn the handlebars more than like a half an inch because the elk is so far forward on the four-wheeler. I'm like, it's got to be balanced. It's got to be fine. Wrong. I come up the ramps. Of course, I had to hit them with a little more bigger because I have 700-pound elk on there. Keep in mind, it was dressed. I did get the guts out of it, so it was probably a little lighter than 700 pounds, but it was still really heavy. 600 pounds, no problem. I mean, it was heavy. It was really heavy. And I get about three-quarters up the ramps, and the four-wheeler goes into a willy. And I'm like, oh, my God, this four-wheeler and this elk are about to come crashing down on me. That's got to be probably about 1,200 pounds of just weight that's about to come down on me. Luckily, it didn't. And if you go to my Facebook page, you can see what happened. But basically, the four-wheeler stood straight up. It broke the uh, – I had like a rear cargo box on it, so it popped that off, ripped those, ripped those screws out. That fell down, and I think that's what saved me because it allowed the four-wheeler to balance straight up vertical. And now the four-wheeler is driving vertical into the bed of the truck, and it was all I could do to turn the key off in time because, of course, I have no brakes. And now I really can't reach the brakes because there's an elk blocking the foot brake. And so I stopped the four-wheeler basically at the windshield part of the truck. I mean, I was out of room. Tires were touching the truck. Yeah. So now we have a new problem. Four-wheeler is now vertical, and there is an elk strap to it. And the ratchet straps are under the four-wheeler, which is now vertical. So, and I'd already broken one strap, which I only had three straps with me. This is a lot of errors, guys, just so you know. This is, this is, a, this is a stream of errors. Cut the elk up, put it in game bags, <laughs> and put it in the bed of your truck. It will save you the time. That would have took me 30 minutes to an hour, where this probably took two and a half hours of time this whole episode once I got angry. But see, the reason this is going to be such a great podcast is because you can't make this crap up, and it happens all the time. It does. I tend to make decisions out of uh, anger once in a while, <laughs> and uh, this is not an exception. So anyway, so... I had two straps left, and both of them are strapped to the elk. One I cannot get undone because it is buried in the forward. So I'm like, well, forward is coming out with one strap. I cut that one. And then I go and I uh, unwrap the other one, get the elk back in the bed of the truck. We slide the elk back onto the tailgate because we're going to need every bit of room to drop this forward that we can without dropping it in the rear windshield or the rear window. 
every bit of room. And without letting the elk drop out of the bed of the truck again because it's now resting on the tailgate. Which we came close. It started to lean. Well, yeah, she had to... <coughs> she had to hang probably a third off of the tailgate. So I was holding up the elk. She's holding up the, the heavier part, the hind legs. With all of my strength. Because that elk weighs at least five of me. Yeah. <laughs> so then I manually walked the four-wheeler back. Tori helped me for a second, then I went into an anger stupor of I'm going to win and drug it back the rest of the way. Went to drop it down once and realized it's going to hit the rear window if I drop it here. Had to pick it back up. Barely caught in time before the center of gravity pulled it down and it just went down. Pushed it back. Dropped it down. And just scraped the roll-up tunnel cover. Didn't hit the window. But it was... There wasn't an inch to spare. There wasn't a half an inch to spare. It was so stupid close. And so now the elk's laying on the tailgate. The four is in. We throw the one strap over the four-wheeler. We lean the elk up, legs straight up, slam that tailgate shut, and we were out of there. And we were out of there. That was... I think it took longer to figure all of that out than it actually did to stalk the elk, kill it, and gut it. Yep. I mean, we had some good daylight left, and we even we even made the stupid comment of, wow, we have daylight left. Never should have made that comment. Yeah, I was pitched back when we left. <clears throat> but we made it. We did the thing. And it, it came out whole. So that's kind of our big game saga. So the moral of the story is, if they don't go in easy, cut them up and put them in the bed of the truck. Save yourself a lot of time. Anything else you want to add? Um, elk are really tough. Yeah. I will say, though, that is the most fun I've ever had on a hunting trip. Um, I've always liked hunting, but I never loved it. And I think part of that was just hunting in Arizona when I didn't know anything. And Arizona's a really hard state to hunt anyway. Um, and then going deer hunting, that that felt like grocery shopping. It almost felt unfair <laughs> just to be walking through that island. I mean, it was still, it was hard work, but it wasn't miles and miles and miles of desert. Um, but that elk hunt was adrenaline like you wouldn't even believe. I mean, just being able to get that close to that big of an animal um, is just crazy. And I mean, Lane and I have both commented several days after the fact like oh wow i really kind of wish we were going out to the desert right now to find elk yeah so we've been doing an archery so whitetail is now open back up again for archery we still have our two general deer tags which are over counter resident tags and uh both times we've drove out to go drop the baby off it's like oh i wish we were kind of going out to our elk area and going elk hunting i mean that was probably the most fun hunting either of us had had and the deer hunt the early deer hunt with the shotguns was was super fun yeah, I mean, it. we had to do all the work to, I mean, scout them out. It was still a few miles of hiking through really dense forest because nobody goes back there. Thick willows, lots of vegetation, cottonwood I mean, trees, just dense. The grass is literally taller than me, and I'm yeah. tall. So, yeah. so I mean, it was it was a bunch of fun. Um, wasn't as exerting, I mean, because once, with being able to run up the river and with the boat and everything, you, shoot, you shot one, and we just... We drug it out 50 yards and threw it on the front of the boat. Yeah, yeah, and it's nothing, nothing compared to this. And I think it's just because we worked so hard and got such a cool reward at the end. Like, it was just, it was just really cool. Plus, I'm, that meat's delicious. I'm super excited to keep hunting elk. 
Yeah, um, so we're, and I was a little skeptical. So we're diehard elk hunters now, so that's going to happen every year. I think we got units planned for next year and everything already. We kind of know what we want to do. Um, pretty sure I'm going to do an archery bull tag um, with what I saw in this unit. Um, it's a very hard unit. This is not an easy test. I'm not saying this is going to be a successful thing, um, but I'm leaning way towards that as a fun video slash hunt in general. I mean, that's going to be a challenge. Oh, yeah. I mean, even rifle, we were hiking 15, 10, 15 miles a day, and it's not, there's no flat ground. I mean, it's it's called a desert, but it's really a lava field, and you're usually going up or down. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of lava in Idaho from here to Boise. I mean, there's just so much that you can go hunt and everything, and it'll beat you up. It tears up shoes, tears up everything, actually. I mean, really, it tears up everything. Your knees hurt at the end of the day. Your calves hurt. Um, nothing, there's just no even ground. It just, no. It's just rough, so. But anyway, a good plan. Um, Tori has done archery hunting because she's going down to uh, Arizona. So that just leaves me, so I'll have a couple more weeks before I go down there. Um, to take one and hopefully I get another white tail and we'll have a really full freezer. Um, we eat a lot of red meat, so it'll be gone by next year. I mean, that will definitely happen. So anything else that I missed? I don't think so. Well, I think we covered it guys. Thanks for listening this week. And in two weeks, we'll have another one for you. It'll be Brock and I, um, we've been doing a lot of duck hunting, so we'll have uh, some stories. Some funny stuff has happened there too. So we will, uh, <laughs> We'll definitely send you some stuff on that. And we got some videos we'll be posting too. So make sure to go to our YouTube channel, Next Gen Marine Outdoors. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and rate us also on uh, Apple and Spotify. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We'd like to take a quick moment and thank our sponsors. Monarch Fly Lines. Did you know that there is an American-made PVC-free fly line? Monarch Fly Lines from Boulder, Colorado has all the lines you need and is offering 10% off to any of my listeners. Use NextGen Marine 10 at checkout. Corker's Wading Boots. With soles that can be changed for traction demands, look no further than Corker's Wading Boots. I've fished mine all summer long, and all I can say is with a retention system that's both fast and reliable, Corker's are sure to keep your feet under you on any river. Find the links below, guys. Thanks for listening. 